Welcome to another episode of In the Middle. Are you caught in the middle of two cultures? In this podcast, I share my and my guest experiences living in two or more cultures. Hi, my name is Eddie Minaya. I'm a creative professional living in the Washington, D.C. area. I was born in Peru and I've lived in this area for the last 35 years. Uh, today, we have a, a special guest, uh, someone that I used to work with, someone that I've known for, for many, many years. And we're going to talk about and how is living in the middle of two or more cultures shapes up your work, your artwork, uh, your creativity. Today, we're going to talk with Abul Bahadori. Thank you for for taking the time today. Um, as I uh, mentioned in the introduction, Abu and uh, and I uh, we used to uh, work together. That's how um, him and I met. So it's been years since uh, we worked together for years. It's been a few years since uh, Abu and I have actually seen in person, but I was able to catch up with him last week over over the phone. Um, Abu, uh, tell us a bit. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your invite. Of course, Abu. So, Abu, tell us a little more about what um, what are you what are you up to these days? What what are you doing for uh, for work these days? Um, as you know, I am still continuing my graphic design uh, topic that we both worked on uh, once we were working together. Um, but also, I'm doing a lot more painting and focusing a lot more on my art. I've actually reduced my number of hours from graphic design. Uh, it's turned into really a tool to financially support my art. Mm -hmm. Great. I mean, that's a, you know, that is a, a great way to to kind of see how um, if someone is is trying to do fine art uh, and trying to do this, we we understand how difficult it is because you've been through that journey. So. Uh, you uh, eventually we can talk a little more about how you made that transition. Um, but as you know, uh, my background, Abu, it's uh, you know I was born in Peru. I grew up in the in this area, and to a degree, my background has sometimes um, maybe influenced a little bit of the way I I do my art, like my graphic design, my web design. But since I came um, when I was uh, 13. Um, and technically, I only have two cultures, the Hispanic Peruvian culture and the American culture. I don't have a lot um, to only those two cultures that kind of mesh together into one. Uh, I know your background is a little more uh, more than than two. Uh, so, Abu, why don't you tell us a little more about your your background? Uh, sure. Uh, I think two cultures is plenty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But uh, uh, yes, I was born in, uh, I may want to show you some images of the past and my photo album, so it would be easier to visualize the whole thing. Okay. Um, so now I'm going to do this slideshow. Okay, is is my screen on? Yep, I see okay. it. 
Um, yes, I was uh, born in Tabriz, uh, uh, Azerbaijan uh, province of Iran. It's a much bigger city now than when I was born. Um, uh, I was born in 1961. Um, this is me when on the left-hand side uh, on my uncle's lap <laughs> with my mother and brother behind. Uh, I was three here. Uh, this is technically at the same time as this, maybe like a year before this. Uh, uh, my my photo is taken. This is the downtown Tabriz. Um, it is a beautiful city. It's mountainous. It's cold. Uh, we are not Persian, even though we are from Iran. Uh, we are Azerbaijani, um, Turkish uh, language. Very Azerbaijani is very similar to Turkish. Mm -hmm. is our primary language but right there uh, because my n mother tongue was uh, not official language and kids were forced to uh, learn um, and speak uh, Persian uh, which was a language that I had absolutely no exposure until I went to school um, you know, we were aliens in a sense in our own hometown. So while I was growing up as a little kid, the cultural, uh, uh, you know, what's the right word? Uh, um, alienation, cultural alienation uh, was, was, was at the core of my entire life. Um, little bit about my hometown and how it influenced my art. Mm -hmm. Tabriz is a city of mosaics, miniatures. In fact, it is the birthplace of a Persian miniature, um, and which, by the way, came through with Turks from Central Asia um, who brought the painting art of China to Iran, um, even though Islamic culture does not allow human uh, features. Mm -hmm. uh, it's forbidden. Uh, but uh, by um, 14th century, 15th century, um, Mongols uh, who were not Muslims originally, Turks who were not Muslims originally, mm -hmm. uh, kind of modernized the system and they allowed depiction of human figure. And this is the type of paintings that um, I was exposed to. Unfortunately, I was not trained to be a miniaturist. I wish I did, but I was not. Um, the carpets are uh, another influence. You know, my mother uh, used to say that I started uh, sketching before I started talking. Um, <laughs> and I vividly remember um, that I was crawling on the carpets or walking on the carpets and I used to just be mesmerized by these motifs, by these patterns and colors. Yeah. So indirectly it has influenced me. Um, but in 1965, my father pursued, uh, he was a dentist when he married to my mom. Okay. Uh, he uh, pursued further education as preventive medicine in the city of Rennes in France. He started doing his PhD and we all went there. So from 1965 to 1966, actually maybe one more year, maybe from 64, 
um, I was going to kindergarten in France, learned French, and um, it was, as a kid, I remember that it was a liberation for me in a sense that um, we were not confined to um, restrictions as such uh, was back at home. So um, let me ask you about when you were in France and I know you were, you were, like you said, five, five, six years old. So you were a kid. Do you remember how you felt when you went to a kind, you, you think you said a uh, kindergarten. So you went to kindergarten for the first time. How was it France back in the sixties? Like the kids, the society, the people knowing that you were from iran and that you were coming from from there even though your your dad was there for to get a phd how was his how was the culture then was were they accepting of uh, very welcoming very extremely welcoming. welcoming uh the later um you know nationalistic sentiments uh that in entire europe mm -hmm. came exist uh after 80s due to massive number of immigrations from all around the world, from Africa and Middle East mostly, had not happened yet. And also, even though I don't remember much as a kid, so far as sophisticated, detailed cultural, social uh, elements are, but I, I remember that we were very welcomed uh -huh. by the, the teachers at the uh, kindergarten Something really interesting happened that um, I kind of regret, uh, but with the 60s liberation movements all around Europe and freedom of expression was a big deal. Um, so the teachers who realized that I was really good with painting, my mom asked them if they know an art teacher and they said, Madame, we would discourage you to give your kids to art teachers because he will never develop his own talent. Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, that is such a 60s mentality. Yeah. The hippie mentality of that era. Yeah. Nobody would say that now. And of course, you know, my, 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 my parents were happy that they didn't have to put much effort Besides, um, you know, I, I will talk a little bit more about it, but I think it's almost universal that parents don't want their kids to be artists. Yeah. Especially, especially in capitalist countries. I mean, I, I guess it's different in Sweden and Norway and the more socialist countries. At that time in Soviet Union, actually art wasn't bad at all, but you know, the other things were difficulties yeah. with the society. So soon after, I mean, we didn't stay. My mom always said, I regret we didn't stay long enough for you to start reading and writing in French. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was barely six, actually. Uh, I wasn't, this was around when I was four years old, five years old. And by, by the time that I was six years old, we came back to, back to, back home. Yep. Okay. Um, so from from 1967 till 1979 it's a long time in a kid's life uh but still not long enough i was living in my place of birth um and, and less and less like a tourist um i remember that first year in the school people uh, kids children were other kids 
were kind of treating me like a foreigner. Because you were coming back from, from France. Right. Right. And I was still speaking in French to my brother at times. But at the same time, Persian was, I, was, I had no exposure to Persian. My hometown Tabriz was purely Azerbaijani. Um, but Persian was enforced. So um, it's funny that they, they allowed me to speak French in, in, uh, during the breaks, but I, I wasn't allowed to speak Turkish Azerbaijani. Uh, and I got beaten up for it. Jesus. Um, uh, so yeah, it was a fascist and it still is a, a, a pan-Iranist, pan-fascist, pan-Aryanist, you know. Mm -hmm. They believe that their Aryan race, the Persians, I'm not saying all Persians are like that, but the, the system was an anti-Turkish, anti-Turkic system. So uh, there were several levels of alienation. Um, in 1979, one of the reasons that the revolution started from my hometown, Tabriz, was precisely that. People were really sick and tired of um, being second class because they belonged to another nationality and their nationality was denied. Um, so the revolution started in Tabriz. This was the this was not called Islamic Revolution. When it first started, it was actually in 1978. And, you know, by then I was last year of high school. Mm -hmm. So um, I did not participate in these demonstrations. Uh, uh, but it, because my, my, my mother was too scared. Um, however, um, my mom herself wasn't so pro Shah. He's, she, my father wasn't so pro Shah. They were, they were not welcoming Ayatollah Khomeini as such, but majority of the population, you know, because there was a political gap, mm -hmm. this uh, nationalistic movement uh, by Azerbaijanis easily turned into um, uh, an Islamic revolution because Shah had not left any opposition. Then immediately Khomeini announced Iran-Iraq war. Right. Um, that was um, when my dad said enough is enough. My father was very much against, even though he got his education abroad, because at that time there weren't very good universities when he was getting educated. But he was, uh, he had played a major role in establishing Tabriz University himself. He was, uh, uh, head of the university and he would never want us to go and study in another country. He was very proud of his university. But when this happened, he said, no, we can't, you can't, especially my mom really pushed. Um, and we went to me and my brother, my sister was very young, mm -hmm. went to uh, Manchester. My brother then moved on to Canada. Um, and, um, but I remained, I, I stayed in Manchester. I got my um, art, fine art uh, education and in textile design and technology. And I did my master's in computer aided design of uh, textiles. Um, I was actually programming in, in uh, uh, C. C++, C++ wasn't out. <laughs> no, was like it wasn't. C++ yeah. wasn't out yet. It was just C. 
See. Uh, yeah, they were like object-oriented uh, programs were not out yet. Um, but at the same time, so I started, I actually finished my master's degree, was very successful. Uh, I, uh, a company from Switzerland bought my thesis. Uh, they took me there for a few months. Um, I worked on their computers and then I came back and I pursued PhD. But while I was doing my PhD, um, there was a lot happening. Um, mm -hmm. There were, um, I gotta go back to that slide, but I wanna show you. Uh, so what was happening was like Cold War uh, was ending. Mm -hmm. uh, the wall was coming down. Um, and on the border uh, between Southern Azerbaijan and Iran, and uh, Soviet Azerbaijan in the north, people started tearing off the border of bars and uh, uh, they, they, they were uh, wanted to unite. Uh, but before we got to that stage, I want to explain that um, I was, while I was in, at the university, I was really seeking to learn my own mother tongue and read and write it. The only access that I had was this little bookstore in London called Collets. It was a leftist bookstore. And um, they sometimes had books in Azerbaijani. Um, and, and, and there was a lot of English books, like uh, tourist attractions to Soviet Union and Azerbaijan was one of the republics. So among many, many uh, brochures, there were some brochures that were uh, about Azerbaijan and some music some um lp oh you know oh discs that i bought mm -hmm. uh, the uh at the same time you know the melting of the iron wall uh i was lucky that we had an Azerbaijani student all of a sudden in our uh university he was in physics department and he was the guy on the left and here i am on the right hand side in my full costume <laughs> I used to, I used to perform Azerbaijani dances, uh, and uh, and he taught me uh, the Cyrillic alphabet, which is really the Russian alphabet uh, that Stalin forced upon Azerbaijanis. Uh, but at least he only forced alphabet. In Iran, they forced the whole language. Um, so I learned how to read Azerbaijani, and from I started sketching and painting. I've, I've painted all my life, but uh, I, 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 I got more like folk themes, realistic, representational, Azerbaijani tea man, Azerbaijani coppersmith, and I was getting these uh, pictures, photographs, uh, uh, small, small photographs from brochures in black and white, and I was actually doing this. These are pencil works that I did. So the um, photographs, the the paintings that you were doing, you said you were you were getting them like your inspiration was a photograph or was it? Yes, a... yes. So essentially, I kind of sketched the photograph, but put the colors there myself. Gotcha. And 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 you know did did little bit of abstract works in the background type of, yep. which I thought at, at that time I thought, oh my god, that's so abstract, that's so cool. But what I was doing is was really like impressionistic style of painting with pencils. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, uh, you know, uh, then, then 1989, 
I was doing my PhD, the Berlin Wall was coming down, and I started writing articles about what was happening in Azerbaijan. Because previous year, I actually went to Baku at the time of Gorbachev, and I got a lot of connections with their reporters. So they were feeding me with information. Mm -hmm. uh, Russians invaded Baku uh, with tanks and murdered people. Um, and there was no way of, no connection whatsoever with Azerbaijan. Um, and, and some of my new reporter friends from Moscow were calling me in Manchester, giving me reports. And I was writing articles and giving them to British uh, papers. Um, and they were printing. I mean, I was doing it freelance without, uh, and, uh, uh, without expecting any, any any money. I was doing it for free. Um, but they were publishing my articles. And in Voice of America in, Man in Washington, D.C. here, mm -hmm. on some of my articles and brought me here. I, I, I was all of a sudden employee of the government of the United States. I went through all the clearance and stuff while I was in England. Um, and I had by then established a graphic design company for myself and I was doing pretty well regarding late 80s. That was a recession all around the world. I was doing pretty well. But this other side uh, interest of mine, I spent maybe like five hours a week on it and wrote a report in English, um, got me to this job and I I was very excited, not because I wanted to become a journalist, uh, but because I had two aunts and six cousins living here in Washington, D.C. So you had family, so it was easier to... I had family. Yeah. I had family, so I jumped, I sold my company, I jumped on it, came over. Um, I would say uh, for that period of seven years, I barely painted because I was just so busy, Doing but I did do graphic design. I was still running my freelance work on the side. So, Abu, how was it for you coming from like when you were coming from the UK? Because you had lived there now for for quite a while. You had uh, you started mm -hmm. the business of graphic design. You were kind of had acquainted to the society in the in 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 the UK. And then Voices of America read your articles and then they brought you to the United States and you decided to come to the U.S. How, what were you, was that your first time coming to the United States when you yes. came to Yes. What were you expecting to see and I guess in, in Washington DC, like were you expecting something very different in terms of the culture between the UK and the United States? What? And was your ex expectation very different? Well, I was expecting much less difference than I saw. How um, so? Well, first of all, the one thing that really shocked me that was, was the fact that you don't see billboards in DC. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that the buildings and, you know, the entire, because this was, this building is right next to the National Mall. Yeah. I was working pretty much on National uh, Mall um, uh, for, for, se for seven years. 
And the most striking thing, uh, my my good luck, Eddie, was that it was uh, the 500th anniversary, circa, of Columbus. Uh -huh. So all the museums, uh, Smithsonian, uh, Natural History Museum, you know, uh, uh, Art Museum, um, History Museum, they were all devoted to Circa, uh, Columbus's 1452. Mm -hmm. uh, 1452. Uh, 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 I'm sorry, 1492. Yeah. I arrived <laughs> exactly 500 years after Columbus. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and, and, and because I had this job of you know the amount of freedom that i had so far so far as voa was concerned i really yeah. appreciated how they allowed us to uh, uh bring up create our own programming oh. so i immediately jumped on it <clears throat> and um um spent that very first month that i started working there maybe like for two three months so far as all these um, shows were still on, I covered them in minute details. And the most amazing eye-opener for me was the Indian culture, the native Indian culture, and uh, uh, Inca and Maya uh, culture of South America. And yep. Because I, I covered them in details. So, this was truly a new world for me, like new world in the sense of those uh, comers from Europe who initially observed it because I just immersed myself in that history. And I had, yeah. obviously I was writing in Azerbaijani, but you know, my, my programs got so popular that VOA asked me to translate them to English. So I did that, and of course, you know, the English service was reading them, and I got I got few awards for that. Um, so it was um, um, really a liberation for me, and mm -hmm. and I and I immediately realized that this is a more accepting country. I I when I was in England, I was um, mostly hanging out with other Iranian Azerbaijani uh, students in the university. Oh, um, okay. It wasn't until I established my business uh, that I really found out that British people are also very friendly. Right? So the isolation from British uh, 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 my my same age British people mm -hmm. uh, was nothing to do with their attitude. It was all to do with the fact that we had kept ourselves in our little community. Yeah, which you know that that still happens uh, today with a lot of different cultural groups. I think uh, you know, in, in even in right now today, you know, the Hispanic community sometimes there's some groups that are kind of stick together with with themselves, and then they kind of um, they don't go outside the group, and sometimes that holds them back to a degree to learn English, for example, because they speak Spanish all the time. I see that sometimes with the 
uh, maybe the Korean culture, where sometimes they also kind of go into one bucket, or the Vietnamese culture, like one area, and then they congregate on a special area around the people because they do feel comfortable around their, you know, people from the same background and the same, they speak the same language, etc. But it is, you know, at the same time, I think it's good because you do feel that you're, um, you know, that you feel acquainted, you feel like you got other people like you that are also here. But I think it could also be, uh, it can work against you because then you can, it's sometimes difficult to get out of that, of that shell. So I can see where when you were in England, you mentioned when you were at the university, kind of most of your friends were from Iran. And then all of a sudden, when you do your business, you start dealing with, you know, the British culture more. Then you start mm-hmm. actually realizing how uh, and understanding better the, the British culture. And then you get here and here I probably I'm, I'm and I'm guessing you can, you know, tell me how it was. But I'm guessing that the British uh, culture back in the, even the late 80s, early 90s was probably a lot less like the, the immigration hasn't happened as much like it it was here in the United States, meaning that the diversity probably that you found in the UK back in the late 80s and, and early 90s was probably not as it is today. Do you think that's, is, is that about right? No, no, that's not true. Uh, I would say the opposite because remember that uh, because of the Commonwealth, mm-hmm. um, a lot of former uh, British colonies including Pakistan and India uh, could actually uh, come there and live there without visa. Interesting. Um, They changed that. Thatcher changed that. And then Margaret Thatcher's um, government was a very racist government. It was a very right-wing racist government. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a Manchester is different from London. At that time, it was a uh, 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 like working class, unemployed working class city mm-hmm. because the industries have moved from UK a while before I arrived there to uh, Southeast Asia. The textile industry, it's, Manchester was heart of textile businesses. Mm-hmm. And actually that's why I studied textiles in 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 uh, university. That's a different story. I don't know how much I should go in depth about that. But um, um, one reason that so there was there was a anti foreigner sentiment very strong in England, and especially in Manchester. I remember that during the soccer games, mm-hmm. we locked ourselves up at home because some of the soccer fans, hooligan soccer fans, I mean, they, they were called hooligans. It would, the <laughs> news called them hooligans. They got drunk and they would beat up anybody in the street who had darker eye and darker hair. And, you know, I'm not that dark, but they, I, I don't look British. Right. So, so um, there, there was that element, but I don't, and, and also burglary. I can't tell you how many times my little apartment got burglarized because it was on the ground floor. Um, uh, so there was that, uh, you know, I still have like bad dreams about it. It was um, pretty, you know, for, for, for a 19 year old kid, 
who has just left home and is trying to stand on his own feet, mm-hmm. being burglarized, broken windows when you come back from college, and then police did absolutely nothing. Was was it scary? Yeah, um, scary. Uh, so uh, the other thing that surprised me about United States was that there was more security. It was just uh, how many times do you hear that somebody's house gets burglarized here? It happened a lot over there. So there was that. There, there was poverty. There was uh, unemployment around us. But I, my God, I miss Manchester a lot. Um, yeah, you know, we, we drank a lot more uh, as all, <laughs> all the students did. I mean, I don't think kids, uh, not now, but I, I don't think even in the 80s, kids here in colleges and universities drank beer during the lunchtime. We did that all the time. It was I, like remember, a I was I was falling asleep in Matt's classes in the afternoon <laughs> because I had two pints of humongous pints of beer. So so I missed that too. I missed that too. But you know, um, it was uh, um, very much United Washington D.C. United USA was not as was not gloomy. It's not gloomy. This is not a gloomy city. Manchester was very gloomy. It's changed a lot. Last time I went there, I was shocked. That's good. Uh, but time is so. Yeah, there was that. There was that big blazing surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I really didn't end up hanging out with my relatives here uh, as soon as I got here. Uh, even though our work environment at Voice of America, there were we were working with other Azerbaijanis. So there was there was this isolation at workplace from Americans that seven years did not help me to get uh, uh, myself accustomed with uh, business and business culture and cor- cor- corporate culture. Gotcha. Uh, but so I left in 1999. I left. I got sick and tired of Voice of America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they they cut us. They cut our our hours. So, um, you know, the web was new and I yes. learned really basic web design and I got I started working in, in another company. So, Bo, you know, what you just kind of went through in terms of your uh, almost like the timeline of your life, the places you live, the places where you where you've gone and how you end up here in D.C. Do you feel that you're caught in multiple cultures do you identify yourself as one culture more than other culture no um um because as a kid uh being alienated in my own hometown because of the persian uh bureaucracy and persian uh, nationalism essentially uh, and since i wasn't persian Uh, even at that age and also going to France and coming back but so not so much because of that mostly because of being a foreigner in in your own home hometown mm-hmm. that is still the case by the way um in Tabriz in Azerbaijan of Iran um, I um had learned established this the skill of not belonging not belonging anywhere you still feel this way today yeah yeah and 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 uh one thing that uh crosses my mind it doesn't matter 
where you die, really, right? Mm-hmm. But since I'm getting older, I'm now 61, I, I'm not comfortable with being buried in Virginia. <laughs> so I don't know be... why it matters. Like, yeah, I guess the soil is too moist. <laughs> it is moist it is humid in in this area yeah so eventually i'm assuming you're you're you're, you're i'm just joking but you know it's like uh yeah uh, retirement like retirement is a big thing that i've always looked forward to um thank god i've managed to um um already you know reduce uh stress my life right now is free of stress. I can say that with pride. That's good, because, Yeah, yeah. And because I'm almost half retired because, you know, I don't, painting is can be stressful actually, but it's a good way, good stress. It's mm-hmm. not somebody demanding you to deliver something designed for them. Um, um, and, and I'm very happy with my current contracts uh, for graphic design, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so I, uh, but but you know, if it, like I, I I have to decide, and hopefully I'll be able to retire in five years, but I doubt. I'm probably going to work until I'm seventy, but you know, same number of hours perhaps as I am now. My yeah. uh, money making job, which is graphic design, is no more than twenty four five hours a week. That's good. So, I would probably continue if I stay healthy, um, uh, 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 and but then I need to retire. And I don't think that I'm looking at Washington DC as a city to retire. However, you get used to like, I'm, I'm really attached to my, my home right now. Um, as you get older, uh, you know, I, I was dreaming of like maybe moving to Portugal because I've learned uh, Portuguese in Brazil. I can carry myself with that language. Now I know Spanish um, because it's a good country. But I, I think that if I move anywhere right now um, that I don't have friends and relatives, I'm going to feel extremely lonely. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So those are the thoughts. Those are the issues that anybody my age, I think, deals with. Yeah. Even if you're born here, yeah where to retire i'm not gonna go to florida i know that <laughs> i don't like florida it's too hot and humid i am with you i know no, i would i would live happily in rio de janeiro <laughs> it's uh i've never it's, been but i've heard it's a, it's a it's a nice it's a nice party city so well now that you know that kind of we have a background of where places you you live how do you think like all these countries, all these cultures, all the things you've seen, all the people you've have dealt with, like how is that influencing now your art today, your your paintings, your graphic design, the the paintings that you're doing today? How is that affect? How is that influence? Is that has it that taken uh, or a kind of a special, specific, very a style that is very unique to you? It is, and uh, I think I can uh, switch back to share my screen. Yeah. Uh, I wanted people to see my face while I'm talking, but uh, right now I think I can go continue this slideshow because it 
the reason I put this together was because art is very visual. So, uh, like I said, uh, since 1999, I've been uh, working as graphic designer, but also painting on the side. Um, Washington DC was a very lucky city for me because um, I consider myself a colorist mm -hmm. and colorism was born in this city. Uh, Washington uh, Color School was established in 50s here after a big movement of New York abstract expressionism, mm -hmm. which by the way did not engage much with color, with exception of a few painters like Fra Frankenthaler mm -hmm. or Rothko. Um, in DC, uh, artist, DC artists established a pure colorist school that um, is just just putting colors in vertical formats or in one big canvas, mm -hmm. one big color, two big colors. And I was very lucky that um, one of their founders, Sam Gillian, was still alive. He passed only less than a year ago and I could take classes from him. And that was just really the luckiest thing in my life. I'm very sad that he's passed now. So um, I started painting in abstract and you can see like I was, I had already established a few series. Um, yeah. They're figurative, you know, uh, fractured series and, and, and graphic, more graphic design type mm -hmm. colorists. Uh, and, 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 and I had my biggest show in 2011 uh, in Petco Gallery, right in front of the Portrait Gallery. Um, further later on in, in, in um, uh, I would say late 2010s, mm -hmm. like 2018, I moved on um, to merging all these styles. And I think this painting is the best representation of it um is is just you know he went figure graphic uh type of illustration combined with uh broken pieces and depth um this was a very this was a breaking point for me um and then i did whole series of that um like and then i that's pretty cool. I like it. The vanishing points, the lines you put over, the uh, the mediums that you're using. I mean, it's it. And some of these paintings, the bow. I also see some of the, even the. I don't know if that's something that comes from you, from like without really knowing. But some of even the patterns you show of like the carpets. Yeah. That you showed at the beginning, like where you know where kind of you originated. Uh, I can see some of the the style kind of coming through for with your painting so it is pretty cool to see kind yeah of very of very good observation Eddie. very good observation i mean it's not conscious but you see the curves yeah and you see the motives um yeah. um everywhere uh without uh, because it's it gets ingrained as a kid growing up on those carpets it gets ingrained in your 
conscious, mm-hmm. subconscious rather. Um, the forms are um, abstract, but yet, you know, um, a lot of paisleys, right? Yeah. Lots of paisley. Um, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about what I moved into, which was key to my success in a sense, without me even realizing. You know, majority of the abstract artists mm-hmm. ever since 1940s, or even earlier, even Picasso and um, Matisse, um, they sh- completely departed from any sense of depth. Mm-hmm. So X, Y, Z axis turned into just X and Y. There weren't and there aren't many abstract artists who pursue a perspective grid, which was which revolutionized classical paintings at the time of Renaissance. Mm-hmm. So this is what um, Leonardo did when he had the Last Supper. Interesting. <laughs> he actually drew uh, the grid. I mean, yeah. this is not on his painting, but you know. Uh, art critiques just yeah. look at it and know they discover rediscovered depth after mm, middle ages yeah Roman, Roman artists were very much aware of it even yeah, great yeah. artists were very much aware of it but they we don't have access to much paintings of Roman era we only know their sculptures but this so I, I thought what is gonna happen obviously you know he doesn't keep the grid. But I was thinking like, okay, what will happen if I simply dump a perspective grid on an abstract painting? Um, the one on the left is one of the very first ones mm-hmm. that I actually kept the grid on it. It was it was completely abstract. And then I kind of painted my numbers in the grid. And then I uh, took it further into more like a sculptor image. Yeah. In other words, the one on the left is first degree perspective. The one on the right is second degree perspective. I've I've not tried third degree perspective. It's so crazy. I don't even know how to do it. But, um, you know, it depends on which angle. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I've seen that one before. And it's almost like the baby is on top of like walking on, on, on glass. Right, right. Um, so this was for my, this was for my uh, uh, 2021 uh, solo show. Uh-huh. Happened during COVID, so <laughs> there weren't many visitors. But uh, nevertheless, you know, it's Art League. By the way, the Art League of Alexandria mm-hmm. is one of the most wonderful institutes for art in entire United States. And I'm learning recently that uh, through uh, uh, getting uh, close with other artists from other cities mm-hmm. through this organization called Artist Alliance, that it includes even Canada, make artists from Canada and Mexico. I'm finding out that it, I was very lucky to end up in a city that uh, had a, had an art league like that, because that is where I went to school, and that is where I went to learn abstract, how to paint 
abstract art. Mm-hmm. I had some exposure to it during my textile design courses, but all we learned was pattern. And I still have a tendency to do patterns. So when you said how my graphic design influenced my paintings, uh, it has positive and also negative influences. A negative influence of graphic design and uh, textile design is that textile design background makes me feel very free with creating pattern, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, pattern is very fashionable now. A lot of artists just do pattern, yep. but it's not that exciting. And the other thing that graphic design um, automatically sitting behind the computer on a daily basis, doing page layouts, website layouts, you are you get accustomed to measuring the margins and measuring the distance between all the divs that make sure they're equal and yeah mm-hmm. it's completely opposite of art <laughs> however with this with this series i could take advantage of that because i did stick everything in the middle and i you know the painted on the left side you can see that it is uh, completely symmetrical um and and i've done a whole series of them the variation comes in the color and uh texture uh, but, uh, you know, it is breaking the rule of abstract painting where you're not supposed to use ruler, period, let alone equal distances. Um, so this was for the first time mm-hmm. starting in 2020, 2021, I would say, pretty much soon after COVID. For the first time, I- I started using computer for my paintings. I had avoided that intentionally because, you know, I don't want to keep clicking throughout my life yeah. and sitting <laughs> behind the computer. Yeah. But my God, it helps. So you know, this this kid is a, a stock photo, uh-huh. um, uh, but I have printed it really large and literally collaged it on the canvas. The bottom part is also a, a photo that I took in LA long, long time ago on the uh, uh, California coast. Mm-hmm. And um, it has layers of paint, paper attached and painted over. And then I, I painted the kid in certain areas and not other areas. Um, and I also uh, le- learned how to use a spray paint and now I'm so attached. All of this happened in last two years. Wow. Um, and now I'm so attached to spray paint. I don't think that I can finish a painting without spray paint. So it looks like a lot of the, you're doing a lot of mixed media now. Do you think yeah. a lot of these now, a lot of your media or oh, the mediums that you use, like the, the paint, the type of paint that you use, the and now the i mean it seems like it is an influence of your background possibly your cultures both cultures in terms of like the type of uh you know the the mediums have are been influenced by cultures and your background because i think now you're mixing computer you're mixing 
texture you you is that is that oils or is that um um well this is yes yes um yes in a sense that i'm, I'm comfortable of jumping on computer and making any changes that i want mm-hmm. of the picture of the painting yeah. it does accelerate so not so much culture but the culture shows through the colors and yeah i would say not even texture but but it is the two things that turned me into a mixed media artist because mm-hmm. before two years ago i would have not called myself mixed media artist now i'm 100 mixed media artist i would even call myself multimedia artist because mm-hmm. there's a difference right Mixed media is when you're using different media, uh, but you're still painting. But multimedia art is not multimedia in the sense of graphic design multimedia. Mm-hmm. But for fine art, multimedia is uh, uh, definitely combining digital and, uh, and 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 paint. I mean, the more ex. Handed multimedia artists are the ones who do installations with video mm-hmm. and light. Yes. Light, yep. But 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 still, like so. This one is a painting that I picked to show you guys because I the only element here that is from an illustration uh, is is this guy the the hero looking guy at the bottom. Mm-hmm. that I actually sketched uh, with pencil, but then I scanned it and, and I printed it on tissue paper and and collaged it. Tissue paper is a transparent collage. It's not easy to do that. It's not easy to print t- on tissue paper, but I've come up with my own method. I stick it on normal paper. Yeah. To go through and then you de- you know you detach it's temporarily sick but here i have stuck um a lot of collage and paint and and sketches and even newspaper you can see so it's more like traditional uh modern you know contemporary but traditional contemporary collage yeah uh, but then uh, uh you know i've al- also kept painting in the same style as I learned from uh, Sam Gillian. Uh, these are classical uh, uh, color field paintings. Mm-hmm. This is how they did. This is how Washington School of uh, Washington Color School artists did. Except my colors are a lot more high octave. They call these high colors high octave like vibrant um even some fluorescence they did not have fluorescent colors then now we have amazing access but to back to your question it is what how much available different medium is in united states mm-hmm. in united states that allows me to do this I know for a fact that my, my, my sister lives in Turkey, um, even though it's not a closed country like Iran, but they don't have this material. So like we have we have a medium by a brand called Golden. It's one of the best acrylic brands. Um, mm-hmm. 
there's a medium of, and when I say medium, I'm talking about acrylic, liquid, or like uh, gel, you know, gel mediums that you put on wood or canvas and the surface becomes exactly like sandpaper. Oh, and, wow. And that sandpaper surface is what is good for pastel, dry pastel. Otherwise, you can't you can't use dry pastel on canvas. Yeah. So you think because, an artist in like in like countries like Turkey or countries like like today in Iran, they wouldn't be able to progress yeah. to do something like this because they just don't have the material. They don't have. They, they don't, don't, have, have, the they don't yeah. have the material. Even in England, what I'm and I have artist friends over there. What I'm buying here mm -hmm. for eighteen dollars. They have to pay 36 pounds over there. Wow, so it's, it's a lot more expensive. Where is it made? Is it, is it US made or is it? They're US made. They're made in the United States. That's it's the what. only area that Chinese haven't conquered yet. I know, I bet that Chinese have amazing paints, amazing colors. Mm -hmm. So the Japanese, Australia is also very good, but, um, U.S., U.K., uh, Switzerland, a little bit France also, the paints and um, colors, um, France has a really good background too, mm -hmm. are amazing. And, and when these paints go to other countries, I guess because of the tariffs and uh, taxes, they become very, very expensive. Like my yeah. Turkish artist friend, um, can get Amsterdam. I believe it's a Dutch paint. Yeah. We consider that dirt cheap paint that, you know, I mean, I buy some, but it has very low pigment. You can't do anything like this with it. So it's again, being in the United States, having access to good quality paint for less price. Mm -hmm. However, however, canvas and surfaces are a lot more expensive here um and also it's very sad that schools don't teach art to children here yeah it's very rare i mean you have to select a class you have to pick it and and yeah it is it is not a not public schools you have to have rich parents yeah yeah it's 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 it is i mean it's it's sad that we don't we don't teach more art like yeah. we should to our children but you know uh, i think when you were talking about painting I and mean, you're talking one thing that came to mind is um this past summer uh we went to um to spain and we also went to morocco and every place we've gone travel abroad we always bring a painting back we want to we buy a ah. local painting to because it becomes a unique thing. And we in Morocco, yes. we've, we we found this painting uh, that is, they look, it looks like oils, um, but it was painted on some sort of silk material. Um, mm -hmm. And it was a black Do you want to share it? Do you have access to share it? No, so I, I don't have it. I don't have it. And I don't have a picture of, of the painting, but mm -hmm. for kind of describing it, it's like black silk background with painting all over the top. But one thing is that was interesting, and this happens every time I buy uh, paintings uh, or any sort of artwork, anytime we buy artwork abroad, is that we bought it over there 
uh, I don't remember on top of my head how much it was. It was probably somewhere like $80, you know, dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, which for, and apparently we got ripped off for that, for that price because we could have gotten even mm-hmm. less. But framing it here in the United States, oh like after we bought it, you know, and we yeah. took it and all we wanted it is to be stretched and to be, um, <sighs> and to have a frame, but it is a, a large painting. So you should have called me. I could do that for you. Oh, I didn't know. So we we um, it was just amazing sometimes how it is the the paintings. Uh, you know how much you have to pay to to do those materials. So I I, I understand what you're telling me. Some some of the materials seem to be um, affordable. Looks like for 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 painting, but the materials to frame it seems to be a little bit uh, always. Right, a, right. Um, yes, yes. Very good point because I love painting on paper, especially watercolor paper. Mm-hmm. It's just a different texture, different absorption. Um, after paper, I like wood. Canvas, I lo- like least. Mm-hmm. Um, but I avoid painting on paper because I have to frame it. Yep. Now, what I mostly do is that I cut it and mount it usually on canvas or on or on wood but it's a lot of hard work yeah so Bo, tell me something you know for anyone that is inspiring to create fine art how difficult you think it is to for a fine artist to become successful in 2023 and do you think at the same time it's it's best to integrate your culture into your art especially kind of when you live in more than than a few cultures to kind of make your art mm-hmm. unique, kind of like what like you have actually uh that's several very good questions i want to start from the last question mm-hmm. um the um art community or art lovers community um is loves different culture. They adore seeing um, painting with a historical tradition of another country. Mm-hmm. Uh, like my partner is from Peru, uh, but he doesn't necessarily duplicate Inca uh, images, which he grew up around. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the old monuments, etc. But it, it, the way that you know the carpet motifs come natural to me, they come natural to him too. But his works are more narrative, mm-hmm. and um, he does sometimes. Once he notices that subconsciously he's putting an Inca motive, he exaggerates it, and people are just go gaga google because. <laughs> whether they realize, recognize that this is Indian art, yeah, South American Indian art, whether they recognize that or not, what they know that this is a native, a native format. Same with even within the United States, mm-hmm. um, you know, Southwest Arizona, um, New Mexico, um, uh, Colorado, um, they have a strong um native american influences yeah. Yeah. more like southern native indian than northern native indian it's closer to mexican 
uh, art, but but it's still different because they were different tribes. They were not same tribes as in Mexico. They were a little different. But you know, um, you go to Santa Fe, and um, it's it's hard to find a gallery that is not displaying native art. Yeah, because it's so unique and so popular. Now I have avoided that intentionally because it's limiting. If I start doing Persian miniatures or just carpet motifs, um, first of all, it is kind of like lying to myself because that's not who I am. Yeah. Um, because I have, like I said, decided to be more cosmopolitan than belonging to any particular part of the world. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I never shy away and I'm very proud of my own origin. And a lot of Americans, trained um, artists, uh, immediately know from my colors that um, I am not a Northern, Nordic, like even if they don't see me, mm -hmm. they don't know me, they know that I am coming from a warmer climate. Gotcha. Um, um, it's funny, like in New York, I, last time I visited, there was a, a Brazilian-Iranian uh, uh, combined show. Um, it was amazing how many similarities there were. It's just, hmm. I don't know how to explain it, but it is, a, a, you know, it's, it's a carnival fun uh, attitude towards art. Yeah. And then a, 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 a gloomy, um, melancholic, yeah. Um, uh, think that you, Northern Europe and, and U.S. Northern U.S. Northern U.S. Not Southern U.S. appreciates. I like that too, mm -hmm. but I can't tell you how many how many people in in Washington D.C. would avoid buying my very colorful paintings because they think that they are too bright for their home. <laughs> Interesting. And I can't tell you how many uh, um, uh, uh, art teachers have told me, oh, you should move to Miami because you, you're you using <laughs> Miami colors. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Um, so someone inspiring. Oh, I, I didn't answer your other question. I'm sorry. This, yeah. this took too long. Your other question was, what's your advice for someone who wants to, um, you know, become an artist and focus on art. Mm -hmm. um, number one, you have to have another job um, that um, so that you don't um, you don't rely on selling paintings because that can drive you crazy mm. and it can actually um, force you to do commercial art. Okay, that's a good it's, advice. Yeah. It's very easy for me to paint things that people would buy. Um, and, and, and from from talking about culture, you know, from Washington DC to Northern Virginia, culture changes. <laughs> it sure does, yeah. In, 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 in Northern Virginia, Virginia, 
people want to buy, um, you know, buildings and realistic uh, landscape. Uh, cats and dogs. <laughs> cats and dogs. If you can, which I have nothing against. Uh, 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 you know, I've done art dogs too, and I've included them in paintings. But uh, I mean, how many cats and dogs and flowers you want to paint? <laughs> um, so there's a dichotomy. The galleries, good galleries, don't want to. If you if you paint flowers and submit to decent gallery, most likely you won't get in. Interesting. As no matter how beautiful your flowers are, but at this and, and galleries having a hard time selling good art at the same time. Um, I worked with several galleries and all of them without exception say good art is hard to sell. So at what stage an artist who does good art becomes famous, how they are discovered, um, I almost don't know, but I can tell you that the artist has to be very um, upfront and almost um, aggressive about it, aggressive about promoting, knocking mm -hmm. doors. And um, believe it or not, gifting and bribing um, in a sense that no other business has uh, does that. For example, I've taken um, art business uh, workshops and classes and without exception, they say, you know, pick a gallery or uh, a, an interior designer uh, company that you think is aligned with your art mm -hmm. and then send them compliments constantly send them gifts send them send them fruits and chocolates in christmas time and and you know send them mugs and things with your art on and don't even talk about your art until they really like you know they, until you say that hey um your last 10 um shows were amazing and i participated and i love your gallery you're doing such a good job for artists completely excuse my language kissing ass <laughs> now how many carpenters should or ever need to gift furniture stores it's completely the other way around it's the furniture stores who are begging and looking for carpenters who are cheap enough who don't have an attitude who would come and fix the furniture but carpenters don't need to do that don't need to find when maybe initially but you know they're, they're in such high demand artists are not in high demand because art is not a commodity and, um, and, and it is a luxury and people either buy, buy art to enjoy and you know have a moment with it mediate me meditate on it or or show off some people buy to show some people buy to the two type of buyers the ones who invest in art and the ones who just buy because they like it and um the ones who pay serious money are the ones who invest yeah and it's it's a catch to enter to nobody wants to invest in your art until you're unless you're famous and nobody can decide 
if you're famous other than big art um, mafia, mafia, I, I would say just mafia. There are lots of uh, good documentaries of um, New York's abstract expressions got discovered and how, how they got ripped off because the dealers were buying art from them for very cheap, making them famous and then selling their art for billions. Yeah. And that is still going on. That's still going on. It's almost like a musician's the same, you know, the, the way that the record companies yeah. uh, screw them up. It's very unfortunate. And, 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 and uh, artists get ripped off more than anybody else. I can't tell you how many times receive these, uh, uh, you know, but I know I recognize them, these fake emails that not fake, but you know, I want to buy your art, but, um, you know, here's my bank account and I don't know, put some money and I, I don't know, like the, the comp it's so complex, but they manage to mm -hmm. get money out of your bank account after they pay a little bit. So be careful of that. Um, and have a second job. A lot of, if you're, if you're a good artist, you can teach art. You mm -hmm. can teach kids. Majority of artists either teach or they're graphic designers. Wow. Yeah. Well, good advice, um, Abu. And I'm, I'm happy we were able to, to connect and to talk about, you know, the, your background and, and how the different culture has shaped up your, your, your art. Um, Abu, is there, are there any other remarks or do you think any other final remarks uh, you would like to you would like to say? Well, uh, I'm really uh, humbled and uh, for this opportunity, I'm really grateful to you um, to you know that I watch your shows myself, uh, and I hope that uh, uh, this also helps a lot of people. You are helping a lot of people a lot of uh, people who come to this country and people who live in this country. Um, I hope that uh, some of these get translated also to other languages, especially Spanish. Um, I am 100% available for um, giving further advice. My website is abolart, A-B-O-L-Art mm -hmm. uh, dot com. And yeah. uh, my email and all my, um, you know, social connections are there. Um, I will be happy to give further advice or learn from you. You know, part of this uh, art business is that um, it's a community social type of work. Nobody paints to hide them. People right. paint to share them. Yeah, it's like poetry. Absolutely. And I will, I will leave all your information in the description of the, uh, of the, of the video. So we'll have your, uh, your website, your, 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 your email and any, uh, all your contacts. So all your, all your, uh, uh, all your handles so that if anyone wants to contact you for any advice, uh, or any sort of, uh, work, or maybe wants to buy one of your paintings, sure. uh, able to contact you. I really uh, appreciate it. Absolutely. I really appreciate your time today, Abu. Uh, it was uh, uh, a lot of fun. Even though I've known you for so long, I've learned a lot today about you, and I've learned a lot about Thank art. You. So I appreciate your uh, you. your your time today, and 
uh, for anyone listening, um, you know, this is uh, um, Abu Bahadori, uh, a friend of mine. He's, you know, Abu, I appreciate your, your, always you as a friend. And until next time, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you like this content, um, don't forget to subscribe or hit the like button. And if you're interested in being in this podcast, please send me an email, send me a message, and I will be more than happy to have you as a guest.